Hey there all you cool cats and kittens and welcome back to another episode of Best in Sass, where each week we take you behind the scenes for conversations with some of Silicon Valley's best and brightest operators and investors. Crack a beer, get comfortable, and join us on our quest to find the patterns and playbooks that accelerate the sprint to 10 million of that good stuff, that repeatable stuff, that stuff we call ARR. Okay, so today I'd love to welcome to the show Alok Nadan. Alok is the general partner at Emergent Ventures. Um, He has over 15 years in technology, deep learning, machine learning, um, and has recently led rounds at uh, Blitz.io and ExcelData.io, in addition to more than 20 investments out of their first fund at Emergent Ventures. Alok, welcome to the show. Thanks, Eli. Glad to be here. So I'm I'm really excited. You have a tremendous background, both as an operator, having been through the Tempo AI acquisition to Salesforce, and of course, many others, but uh, now as an investor, focusing specifically on enterprise uh, startups. So I would love to dive deep with you uh, just on some of the patterns that you found, both in your time as an operator and now as an investor, uh, around that initial sprint from a million in ARR, kind of just post-product market fit, obviously that number's a little bit different for, for each company based on the sector they're in, and as they sprint to 10 million ARR and that kind of first big milestone. So um, maybe we could start with some of your experience as an operator and, and the patterns that you've found over time there. Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks, Eli. Uh, thanks for the introduction. Uh, so yeah, uh, uh, you know, uh, the last gig where I was an operator was at uh, Tempo AI, and and this was a early stage uh, company based out of uh, uh, the Bay Area, and what we were building this was uh, you know back in 2013 timeframe when Siri had just come out of, and and uh, you know this is pre Alexa, pre Google Home, and all that, and so our thesis was to build a Siri for the enterprise because Siri at the time was trying to you know answer questions like what's the score of the game today or what was the weather. Um, it could not answer what does my day look like or who am I meeting for coffee next Tuesday. So that's what we were trying to answer. And uh, during our journey of trying to find a product market fit, uh, we noticed that a lot of salespeople uh, started downloading. And uh, we were on the App Store. Uh, There's early days of the App Store as well, right? So we were on the App Store and a lot of salespeople in different uh, you know companies like Accenture, HP, uh, uh, started to download uh, the app and they started to use for their sales, uh, you know, uh, conversations, right? So uh, we had things like, you know, um, uh, you could interact with your, you know, calendar using voice, right? So just like you interact with Siri uh, using voice, uh, this was a, a professional, uh, you know, use case uh, for salespeople. And and so uh, during the product market fit phase, uh, you know, we sort of saw, you know, realtors using it and, and, and consultants and salespeople. But we zeroed in on the sales uh, because that was sort of a repeatable use case. And it was sort of horizontal in the sense that every uh, salespeople in every type of a company uh, would need something like this because uh, they need to optimize their time and they need to make sure that they're on time at the right location. If it's a field salesperson or if it's inside sales, they need to be on it on their calendar, right? So that was sort of the first aha moment for us in the in the you know sort of pre-product market fit um, uh, uh, phase, right? And and we sort of doubled down on that and and went after the uh, went after the sales use case and and we got some early traction there. 
and and early monetization and and before we could get to <laughs> you know uh, double digit uh, you know in ARRs uh, you know Salesforce uh, noticed us and uh, around that time Salesforce had acquired another company called Relate IQ. Uh, what we they were doing was a data science on email and we were essentially doing data science on calendar. And so uh, we got merged in with the Relate IQ acquisition. And after that, uh, we relaunched it uh, as a new product suite within Salesforce called Salesforce IQ, uh, which was essentially email, calendar, and CRM in one app. And, and I was now, uh, you know, it's in the market. It's selling quite well. So I'll, I'll just, uh, you know, that's a quick uh, story, uh, sort of uh, how we got from a pre-product market fit, found a, sa- a real use case, doubled down on that, and 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 sort of, really started to take off and, and, and you know, uh, people noticed us. Yeah. I was an early Relate IQ fanboy. I, I loved that product. Um, it was just so it, was so, it felt very ahead of its time, just as far as bringing everything into one place and kind of showing you the full context of your relationships. Um, so it's really cool that they've been able to take that product, um, I'm assuming under a lot of your leadership and, and merge that um, with the Tempo AI product and, and yep. see success. Uh, yeah, and now it's uh, it's uh, it's part of uh, Salesforce Einstein, which is sort of their AI group. Uh, so some of my team uh, is still there. It's part of the Salesforce Einstein group. So so Salesforce has really doubled down on this whole AI and data science, and they're applying not just to the sales use case, but service, you know, marketing, and so on and so forth. Yeah. So bef- before we talk about your some of your investments and and the patterns that you've seen, um, watching those grow and unfold, and coaching those those founders. I'd love to hear just kind of how how you made the transition from you know product product focused early stage then getting acquired and then deciding you're going to make the leap to um, emergent and starting that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, so I'm an engineer by training. Uh, you know, I, I you know uh, studied computer science and I started my career in Microsoft up in Seattle uh, straight out of school. And my first gig was uh, as a product manager in their Windows Server group, uh, and and then eventually I transitioned to the cloud group, which is a, which was sort of a startup group within Microsoft. This is early days of the cloud in 2007 2008. And every vendor had their own definition of the cloud. And so there was like heady times. And, you know, uh, initially we were just uh, a, f- a couple of product managers and 30 engineers. And now it's it grew and grew and grew. And when I left, there were about a thousand engineers um, in, in that division, in the cloud division. So from that, I, I you know, I moved to the uh, to the valley uh, in 2012 and, and uh, kind of uh, moved to the, uh, uh, you know, startup scene. I joined a company called Yumi Networks. Which was, uh, you know, uh, uh, I call it a Salesforce for advertising operations. Uh, so it was a SaaS product that uh, helped uh, video ad networks and, and video publishers, uh, you know, um, monetize their inventory. And 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 that company, I joined them when they were about fifty people. They went public on the New York Stock Exchange um, and went to about five hundred people in two years. So that was uh, sort of my first foray into startup. And after that, I was bitten by the startup bug. And so a friend of mine uh, was starting Tempo and I joined him uh, when it was just sort of a, you know, a couple of people in a garage sort of thing. And, and you know, um, a Tempo, uh, we were building the city for the enterprise uh, uh, for about two and a half years, three years before we got picked up by Salesforce. At Salesforce, I was there for about a year, did the integration. And, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, after having worked in a couple of startups, I really wanted to get back into into the startup world. And so I left Salesforce and I basically started helping early stage startups with product market fit. 
So I used to get a lot of inbound uh, sort of questions and, uh, you know, queries about how to sort of get to product market fit. So I started independent consulting uh, and helping uh, early stage founders think through their product market uh, fit uh, queries. And, 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 and I did that for about a year and a half. And during that time, I met uh, my partner at Emergent. Um, um, you know, he was, uh, he was in some other firms like Blumberg Capital and Nexus before he started this. And he was looking for a guy like me who could roll up his sleeves and actually uh, help uh, the founders, uh, you know, uh, with the early, early sort of product uh, and go to market uh, strategies. So I joined forces with him and that's how I ended up in venture capital. Uh, it was not uh, planned. I, I never planned to be a VC. Uh, it was just uh, completely, uh, you know, serendipity. Uh, and I continued to do what I was doing, um, uh, which was, you know, helping uh, founders get to product market fit, except, you know, instead of doing it one company at a time, I'm doing it like two companies at a time or maybe three companies at a time sometimes. Sure. So how how do um how does that handoff work? I mean, you get get them to product market fit and then what does that transition to, you know, obviously the the growth plans and the ways that the way that they behave changes once they get to product market fit. I'm curious how, you know, as you're as you're advising these companies and and helping champion their growth, how that transition process goes. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting one, you know, because uh as an operator for 15 years, you know, uh, you tend to sort of, uh, you're wired to sort of uh, immediately, if, if you see a problem, your natural instinct is to Im- immediately jump in and start to sort of look for solutions. Whereas as an investor, you have to sort of uh, be a little more patient with the founders and you have to help, you know, you really take on the role of a coach, uh, right? And And you have to sort of, help the founders really work through the problem themselves. And as they're working through it, they will realize where they need help, as opposed to sort of bringing in the operator mindset and immediately jumping in and start to firefight. Uh, that, uh, you know, I, I learned it the hard way, uh, you know, when I did that with one of the companies, I, you know, the, the founder sort of, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, started to push back and say, you know, you know, you know, we can do this ourselves, or we want to do this this way, right? So, so, so that was a, a learning for me, and 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 a challenge for me as to not immediately sort of dive in and start <laughs> trying to solve the problem, but let it let it sort of marinate uh, with the founder for a while, let him think through the solutions, and then come to you and sort of ideate and 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 discuss, and and you can sort of uh, suggest which one is the best way given your experience. Sure. No, that makes perfect sense. So I'm curious, are there, um, are there patterns that have emerged out of the successful portfolio companies who have made that transition and have started to grow and, and chase down that 10 million mark in ARR? Um, are, are there certain patterns or behaviors that you've observed as an investor that tend to lead to success as they move towards that number? Uh, absolutely. You know, uh, one of the things that emergent that we look for is a sort of, uh, again, we are early stage, right? So the stage we come in, there isn't a lot of data around revenue or even product market fit sometimes, right? But uh, so what we really bet on is the founders, right? And the founders usually, especially in the space we operate, which is enterprise, we really look for uh, founders who have some sort of domain expertise or some unfair advantage, 
in the sense that they have either worked on that problem before in in their prior uh, companies, uh, and and so they are intimately familiar with the pain point, and 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 then they sort of uh, uh, you know go and strike out on their own, and they want to solve. They have this burning desire to solve it. Uh, you know. Uh, solve that pain point, right? So there's a there's a pattern there where usually the successful founders deeply understand the pain point. Either they come from the other side and they've felt that pain point, or they have tried to solve it in other organizations and failed, and now they want to solve it in in their own company. And and then really at the early stage, uh, the founder it's it's mostly the founder selling, right? And they're really selling their expertise because at that time sometimes there isn't a product to show. Right, and so the buyers they really get impressed by the founders' uh, expertise and, and and understanding of the problem, um, you know, even before they look at the solution. So that's another pattern, which is uh, the founders selling the first three four deals, and and they're really selling. Uh, part of it is their own expertise, uh, and, and and then uh, essentially, if they're successful, they will be able to productize that expertise into, into, a, into a solution that can be repeatable, right? So those are two things. One is sort of a domain expertise and sort of really identify with the pain point of the buyer. And the second is at the early stage, uh, you cannot get a surrogate. You cannot get, bring in an AE and say, go sell this. Here's all the material. Uh, you really need to have the founder selling the first three, four, five deals. So after those first three, four, five deals, I mean, that makes perfect sense. Um, and certainly the pattern we see as well, when you begin to operationalize that the founders efforts, right there, they, they do bring in a VP of marketing, VP of sales, um, certainly not all at the same time, but, and they're trying to take what they've been doing as a founder kind of with the magic wand, so to speak of, of being able to go in and show expertise, this domain expertise and close deals. And now they're trying to hand that off and operationalize it so that they can begin building out their kind of demand engine, if you will. Uh Uh Um, Are there any common stumblings, like things that you see founders do that ultimately are either distractions or slow them down and and are kind of lessons that they almost need to learn by by going through them on their own or, or having someone such as yourself help them avoid those stumblings? No, that's a great question. And I'm glad you're asking that, Eli. And and part of the reason why I'm talking to you is because a lot of founders, especially first-time founders and founders who come from product or tech backgrounds, they actually underestimate uh, the demand gen side of things. And, and, And essentially, you know, because the first few deals is essentially their own network uh, uh, you know, uh, people they know and they call and, and they kind of get into accounts. But beyond that, to really scale the engine, you really need a, a well-oiled demand gen engine to work. And and, and most of the, uh, you know, uh, at least the founders I work with are, are come from a tech or a product side of things. Uh, uh, some of them have been exposed to marketing or sales uh, at scale, but most of them have not, right? And so they really underestimate the demand gen uh, effort to scale uh, both top of the funnel as well as sort of uh, you know um, getting uh, getting uh, prospects through the funnel as, as well, right? So they underestimate how much top of the funnel they have to generate, and then they underestimate um, uh, how long uh, sometimes uh, it takes for people to go through the pipeline, right? And 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 that's sort of enterprise sales, right? So they don't have a handle of sometimes the sales cycle. 
because the previous two three deals have been mostly relationship based sales and 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 they already are familiar with the pain point uh, so the sales cycle may be shorter but if they go to a a completely new account where they don't know people the time it takes for the prospect to go through the funnel is sometimes longer than they anticipate and at an early stage that can be sort of the death knell of a company right so those two things underestimating uh, how much effort it takes to do demand gen and then how long it takes for a new prospect to go through the funnel certainly and and how have you uh, it obviously is is a delicate dance right as you mentioned earlier you don't want to you know give them a hundred percent direction because in some sense they need to figure this out on their own um, and feel like they have some agency there. But at the same time, obviously these are your investments and you want to see them be as successful as possible. I'm curious how you um, clue them into that without, you know, hitting them over the head with it, so to speak. Uh, Cause you know, everybody, not everybody, but a lot of these early founders who haven't done this before, assume that they'll be the exception to the rule. We're like, oh no, our sales cycle is not, not 90 days or 120 days. It's, it's 30. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and yep. uh, like, how do you, how do you handle that? Yeah. So that's a great question. So one of the things that I, you know, again, I've learned it from the school of hard knocks. <laughs> uh, and, and so one yep. of the things I suggest uh, to a founder these days is try to uh, find peers uh, obviously, the peers that are in the same stage of the journey as you are. Uh, so if you're a Series A funded company, uh, try to find uh, one or two peers uh, who are founders who are in the same stage, Series A. But, uh, you know, another one that I've uh, found useful is uh, suggest them to find peers which are one step ahead or sometimes even two steps ahead. So uh, find a peer who's in Series B or a Series C stage, right? Because the challenges they are facing now you will face six months or 12 months from now, right? Uh, and, and, and so that's the other uh, thing uh, that I've, I've been consciously nudging uh, our founders is, is, is finding a peer group of uh, folks who are in the similar uh, you know, journey as you, sometimes one step ahead or sometimes two steps ahead, and some of them perhaps in the same stage as you. Because it's not just about uh, uh, go-to-market. It's also about fundraising. It's about building a team and the culture and so on, right? So that's sort of a, a, a strategy that I've been uh, I've noodled for a while, and now I'm actively sort of uh, uh, suggesting it. Nice. Uh, so this this kind of as we wind down the the conversation, this has been incredibly helpful. I'm sure that there, there are plenty of founders and operators out there where this this whole conversation is going to resonate. I'm curious, you know, we all have folks in our lives professionally who um, either are peers or mentors who we really just respect the work that they've done and think that they're a great example of excellence in their own specific field, whether, you know, it's a sales leader, marketing leader, CEOs, or other investors. I'm curious who those folks are for you that, that you either look up to or really respect and would like to give kind of a shout out to on the show. Uh, sure. You know, I mean, uh, I'm a, I'm a sort of, uh, the, at the, uh, at the risk of sounding too sort of, uh, self, uh, uh, you know, congratulatory, but I'm, I'm, I'm an awe of my partners, actually, uh, Ankur and Anupam. Ankur has been a, a VC for about a good decade. He started his career in Blumberg Capital, uh, which did investments in the U.S. and Israel. And then he was in a fund called Nexus, which does, uh, you know, U.S. and India investments. And so I'm, I've really learned a lot over the past three years just sort of being his apprentice 
And, and venture is a very sort of, uh, you know, apprentice uh, kind of a game. You can't really read a lot in the books. You can only learn it from the practitioners, right? And I've been lucky to have uh, such incredible partners uh, in the fund who have been there, done that for the past decade or more. And I'm, I'm learning on a daily basis from them. Besides that, uh, you know, I've been lucky to be part of a couple of startups. Uh, you know, uh, like I said, Yumi, uh, uh, there's a founder, uh, Giant, uh, who took the, who started the company and took the company public on the NYSE. There are very few founders, you know, who have sort of seen that journey all the way and, and have stayed humble. And he's one of them. And, and so, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, sort of, he's also sort of active, uh, active in our uh, ecosystem, helping our founders as well. So that's another person I look up to. And then, uh, the founder of Tempo, Raj, he's a close friend and he's doing another company now. He's been a sounding board, uh, you know, throughout, uh, a lot of what I've been doing over the past decade. So those are the people who I've, I've sort of, uh, worked with in the past decade. And I'm incredibly grateful, uh, that they've given me the opportunity. And at the same time, I'm sort of, learning and soaking up everything uh, 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 from them as well. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing all of these uh, nuggets of wisdom uh, and, and certainly the folks that you've mentioned. I think it'll be great for the audience to check out their backgrounds and, and their stories as well. So Alok, thanks for being on the show.